everybody. My name is Michael Rosso. This is the Film Photography Podcast. It is October 15th, 2013, and I'm properly caffeinated. <laughs> I'm here in the studio with Leslie Lazenby, Matt Mirage. I'm also properly caffeinated. And John Fidelli. I am not there. caffeinated, but and this I'm is John happy is to see you. <laughs> John is decaffeinated. I am decaffeinated. He's like the desaturated of caffeinated. That's right. This is the podcast for people who love to shoot film. It's all about using film as a medium, and it's very exciting to me. Especially it's in your caffeinated state. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> and today is also a salute to Tim Tams, yeah. which is the most famous Australian cookie. Since Split Ends. No, I thought you were going to say, right, mate. <laughs> no. Cranky. And these were sent. Good I'm almost positive that Tony Kwong sent these. Yeah. And these are the original. Yeah, those are a deluxe package. This, these are the actual Australian cookies. These are not the American version of Those look very better. elegant. The American packaging looks cartoonish. This looks like, you know, white glove treatment. The Indeed. chocolate tastes different. I don't know what it is. It, really? it, it tastes good. It uh, on t- on Ain't no deets, though. It's no no deets. Ain't no deets. There is a few like deets. Uh, t- on today's show, we're going to be talking about working with models. Yeah. A.K.A. glamour photography. We're going to be talking about negative storage. Mm, what to do? One. Yeah, what do you Negative do? storage. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Leslie, myself, Matt, everyone, the developing solution. Get it? <laughs> and we're going to be giving away a Canon AE1 program camera. Ooh. Thanks to our good friend, Jim Austin. All right, Jim. Jim Images. Or Jim Slow Photography Austin. Ooh. Yes. Very much like me, the AE1P was one of his first cameras. Is that right? Oh, and really? The, the camera we're giving away is Jim's personal camera. Whoa. Yeah. We're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to have all this stuff. <laughs> Are you that exhausted already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Leslie, uh, you came up with this word, and I think it's true. The FPP is somewhat of a film boutique these days. It is a boutique, otherwise known <laughs> as a boutique in Ohio. And it kind of just happened by chance. I started getting very interested in unusual 35-millimeter film, film that's not available in cartridges, film that's only available on bulk, big reels. Uh, men and women who roll their own film, I have to tell you, like me, most people don't. Till now. Well, till <laughs> most of the bulk loading is going on in little film communities like APUG.org. People are talking about it, but they're not really offered. No one's really carrying it and offering it on a wider scale. Right. Yeah. So if you do not have the time or interest in rolling your own, the Film Photography Podcast Store, which is filmphotographystore.com and 35mm, if you click on 35mm, you'll see an unusual variety of films that we are hand-rolling, and it's pretty cool. There are some amazing stocks out there. Stocks that will, like, <sighs> blow your mind. ISOs of like 0.06 Kodak Rapid Copy Film. 0.06. Insane. Something like the Fuji It, which is IT-N. It's another copy film. It's C41. C41. I believe it has an ISO of 20. As of late, the newest is, of course, uh, exploring the Eastman Kodak motion picture line of films. Mm -hmm. Like the Eastman Double X. Yeah. 
which is in our shop as FPPXX. Extra bold. And this is an awesome film because it's rich and it's bold. Large tonal range. Large tonal range. Yeah. Tonal range. Mm-hmm. It's nice uh, and silvery. Yeah. 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 Processing is uh, standard. Does it come with that nice little processing start sheet? Does. That's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. We send a start sheet out with a double X. It has information from um, uh, the... Raypack. Uh, Nick Raypack. Nick Raypack was mm-hmm. kind enough to send over some information. And what's uh, that website? Is it doublex.com? That fancy? <laughs> I don't know. You should just double type X. that right in. Yeah. Just type that right in and see what happens. <laughs> oh. My <laughs> oh, browser yeah. raised in here. You type in Eastman... <laughs> Double X. What is the fan site that comes up? Oh, Project Double X dot org. Oh, Project Double X. Project hyphen double hyphen X dot org. If you Google yeah. Eastman Double X five two two two, you will get the site. This is a very it's, it's a very elaborate. Yes, the Google. It's a very well His- thought history out history about developing data formulas, examples, resources, suppliers. Oh wait, are we on the suppliers list now? I don't know if we're on the suppliers list yet. Son of a shit. <laughs> Getting a little saucy. This is one of the exciting films in the uh, hand rolled FPP film, Boutique. What are you saying, Boutique? What does that mean? Boutique. Boutique. Darn Jersey accent. That's what uh, Track used to call record store. Like, let's go down to. Because it was so called like record boutique. He's like, let's go down to the (laughs) Boutique. That sounds like tracking yeah. all the way. Folks out there <coughs> listening, we ship internationally. I would love to ship you some, some fresh, unusual film uh, for you to try in your 35mm camera. Thanks, and filmphotographystore.com. It is from Kodak. It delivers the highest resolution. Microfine grain. Superior image structure. For ultra-sharp detail. It is called Ektar. Ektar Film by Kodak. The genius is in the details. Ektar Film now comes in a new cartonless package in 25, 100, and 1,000 speeds. Hey, I just want everyone out there to know that you could write to the Film Photography Podcast, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Right, John? Yeah. Write? Write a letter. Oh, I th- I, that's to the to the email address. You could type a letter. Wait a minute. You, you could type a letter on your computer. Yeah. And email it to us. Yeah, I thought you were talking about actually physically putting pen to paper. Okay. Like PO box. Okay. Thank you. Podcast at filmphotographyproject dot com. If you want to write a letter mm. and send stuff, yeah, you can. You can send it to Film Photography Podcast, PO Box one five two, Butler, New Jersey. That's B U T L E R N J. 07405 USA. And what kind of stuff should people send us? Oh, they should send us Candy. Uh, Tim Tams. Tim, Tim Tams, Dr. Most, Brown. In most ne- we're in most need of Mr. Brown. Oh, it's Mr. Brown? I thought it was Dr. Brown. I'm sorry. Mr. Brown. Is Mr. It Mr. You need Mr. to go Brown? out and come in again. Mr. Brown, <laughs> Mr. Brown Ice Coffee. But mostly I'm interested in what people have to say. Uh, some listeners have sent in uh, prints. Mm-hmm. Some people, like this gentleman, what is his name? Weldon Pops. Weldon Pops has sent us some screen prints, some of his art. Cool. So if you something you want to share with the FPP, I would say, uh, you know, Film put it in a letter. food. Keep it. Keep Concert it. tickets. <laughs> furs and diamonds. That's right. Frozen diamonds. No, furs and diamonds. Oh. 
Frozen peasants. <laughs> P.O. Box. Frozen peas. P.O. Box 152, Butler, New Jersey, 07405. That's the same address if you want to donate a camera, a film camera that works, or some film to yep. the FPP. Yeah. So Keep, send it on in. Send your love, baby. Okay. Thank it's you. all oh, about yeah. love. Hey, we're back. Hey, really quick, um, some yeah. quick letters. This Everything's is a, really quick right now. This is a quick note from Blea 100. Mm-hmm. Yes. Our friend Mike. Mike Bataxi. Yep. yep, from Canada. He's Mr. Polly Peneff. <laughs> oh, hello. <clears throat> Blea 100, that is his name on Flickr. He is one of the proponents of getting us to carry Polly Pan F in the FPP store. The smooth and silky 35 millimeter. <laughs> John's attempting as I try to get my breath. I can't do it. I'm just going to eat and sip. Okay. Don't get too many crumbs on the couch. On the microphone? I promise. <laughs> Let me see if I can whistle through this. Uh, a few uh, shows ago, uh, we talked about Canon FD lenses. And the fact, uh, a matter of fact, when I was in Finlay, I gave Leslie uh, one of my lenses, the Canon FD SSC F1.4. 50 oh, millimeters. Yes. Sweet. Yes. Blea 100, Mike says, the SSC on the 50 millimeter stands for Super Spectra Coating. Which sounds cool, but that means the lens is multi-coated. Some lenses are just SC. That stands for spectra coating or single Single coated. coated. Yep. Just the spectra coating sounds cool. Unlike SMC lenses, which are boring, super multi-coated. <laughs> Wait, super coated lenses are boring? They've never been cheaper. They're awesome. Well... <laughs> Uh, here's a quick email from Martin Fennell. We met Martin at FP- John has no microphone. Well, I don't want to chew everybody's ear. John, uh, we met Martin in uh, England. He came with his son. Oh, that? yes, yes, yes. Fine, uh, Why don't you read this? Yesterday, I took the plunge and bid successfully on a 6x6 medium format camera, just the body. Need to get viewfinder back in lens. What is it? What kind of camera? I would be interested in a discussion on the shoe about... Different viewers, I'll probably go WLF, as the reason for getting the camera was to be different from my 35 SLR. Different backs, well, 120 outlived 220. 220 backs are a lot cheaper than 120 for some There's reason. There's a reason. There's a reason. Oh, we'll get to that. Different <laughs> lenses, I'll probably go with 150 again to make the difference uh, to my SLR. I like the longer lenses. Again, love the shoe. Hope to see you in London again. Yes, Martin, hope to see you soon. Did Martin say what uh, what kind of 6x6 no, he bought? No, he didn't say it. Well, there's no. so many 6x6s. There are, and they don't all have no, the same assortment mention. of viewfinders. No, that, and see, it makes mm. me feel like he got a Hasselblad or something, because that's, well, um, that has a wide assortment. I don't know. 6x6. Six six. So what be. about the 120-220 well, situation? Well, Leslie, you want to take this one, or you want me to? Tw- well, 220, uh, almost, the, almost every wedding photographer shot 220, mm-hmm. twice as many frames. Yep. Didn't have to change the back as often. On 6x6, six six, that's 24 shots, yeah. which is, it's, it's a nice that's amount. A We're talking it. about medium format photography? Yes. Yes, yes. 120 roll size film, roll. 120 roll film. If you want double the exposures, you use a 220, 220. roll. If your certain, camera will take it, only right. Only certain cameras will take that. Right. Take the back. My yeah. older Mamaya does 1530. Your Mamayas do 1632. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Processors hated them. They're hard yes. to handle, especially yeah. dip and dunk. And for uh, black and white, you have to have a... The 120 roll reel. film, because sometimes I get letters that say, how many exposures do I get on the roll and it has to do with your camera yes yeah. or the back because yeah. mm-hmm. some backs like you can get a, a 645 back right. for your Hasselblad but you got to crop it in on the viewfinder so mm-hmm. and then he was talking about the viewfinder for right. uh, let's say like a Hasselblad you have a you have your waist level finder which mm-hmm. you know you're looking down a little bit and focusing and right. everything's just <clears throat> it's flipped right um, you could do the prism finder which uh, you could do a 90 degree prism or you get the little smokestack finder, which is, uh, it's like the waist level finder, except it's just got a magnifier on top of it. So, And do they have metered prisms as well? Portal yes, prism meter yep. finders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You can mm-hmm. get the generic brands, which are typically cheaper. 
and I think they're more reliable. And then you can get the really expensive official brand ones. So. What about for my Mamiya? Your Mamiya, same thing. You yeah. get the metered finder. You get I don't the have to buy a Mamiya. Oh yeah, I think it. you do. Uh, yeah, you have yeah, to buy Mamiya. Yeah, but I they're cheap so. enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you have to replace one because you've broken it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always a timing thing, you know. Of course. But 220 as a film, <clears throat> there's a reason the backs are cheaper, and that's because a lot of 220 is just no more. You can't right. get 220 in a certain size. Um, the last 220 I shot was actually at a wedding. It was Portra. So I was doing uh, one, 160 and 400 in 220 just to get more shots out of it. And yeah. I'm sorry. Did you guys say 220 is not made anymore? I'm it not, is. I it is, but it's just very, very few. Yeah. Yeah. What not about, the full flavored varieties we're mm. used to. Well, what about lens? He said he's going to get 150, just to be different. Nice little portrait lens. Yeah. Because he likes yeah. longer lenses. It's, it's yeah. medium telephoto, so yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Beautiful portrait lens. Yeah. Good luck, fun, Morton. Thank you, Morton. I love letters, guys. I love hearing from our listeners because on this show, our listeners make the show. We become like a little film family, mm-hmm. and our listeners are our extended family. They're our kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and when we meet them at events, it really is like we know them. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's really a strange phenomenon, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. And here is a letter. Oh, if you'd like to send a letter, it's podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Here's a letter from uh, Mark. He says, My name is Mark. I'm an avid film photographer as well as a student of photography. Currently, I'm shooting a grip of 35mm cameras and a Wiesner 4x5 field camera. Ooh. I'm doing my best to save up for an 8x10 as well as leave the 35mm format and shoot Fuji 6x9 exclusively as my primary street and travel camera. The Texas Leica. Is that right? <laughs> that's a, yeah, of all the <laughs> MF cameras I've seen, held, researched, and reviewed, this guy comes out on top. That 6x9 negative is astonishing. 4x5 I reserve for landscapes and portrait work have been synced to two soft boxes, giving me incomprehensible detail in my photos. When I make the move up to medium format, I may send in my 35mm gear to the FPP. Wow. Your podcast has been perfect for keeping me up to date on film, gear, and other film photographers. It is the perfect companion for driving in the car on the way to work, listening at work, <laughs> listening as I jog. I wonder what I'm going to do when I run out of episodes to catch up on and actually have to wait for a new one to come out. It happens. It happens it quick. Foam at the mouth. Like you the go back to number one. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest way. <laughs> <laughs> After I found your podcast, I began listening from the beginning. Sure, I may only be in 2011, but it is great, and I'm learning so much from your podcast each time I listen. So he's going to be like four years older by the time he gets to listen to this. Not to mention <laughs> there are a few laughs and here and there from your hilarious antics. Since I have not listened to every episode, the following information may be common knowledge. If not, here is some information I know about film photographers. He mentions some guys. Let's see if Matt knows them. Okay. Jonathan Conless. I'm wearing his shirt right now. <laughs> Get out. The film is not dead. That's him. I didn't know that. Hey. See, you learn every- I learn things from the Film hey. Photography Podcast. This guy is like the modern-day godfather of film photography. He has produced guides to running a portraiture wedding business, shooting film, and even has a book about shooting film. It is like the Bible of moving from digital to film. It's called Film, film is, is Not, not Dead. Mm-hmm. He also Matt has a shirt on. Yep. He also hosts a workshop entitled Find, F-I-N-D, that teaches other photographers how to shoot film, how to create better images, and how to 
better run a photo business, specifically using film. Like I said, I am sure you have already heard of him. If not, this guy has a cult following of MF film photographers. That's medium format. Yep. They, they all shoot They all shoot medium format weddings. They do. Uh, they all shoot with the uh, Contact 645. Right. Very big following. You can go to filmisnotdead.com. Correct. Or Jonathan uh, Canalis. Uh, that's uh, canalisphotography.blogspot. Yep. That's C A N L A S photography.blogspot.com. What are you yep. doing, John? I'm looking for that photo I took. <laughs> oh, you have a print? Uh, Rodney Lau Jr. New one. Okay. This guy shoots breathtaking landscapes, mostly on an 8x10 and 4x5 view camera. Oh. Uh, photos so good they make the hair on the back of your neck raise when you enter his gallery. What's his name again? Rodney Lau Jr. L O U G H. The classic landscape, very yes. saturated, very beautiful destination uh, landscape. David Brookover. Oh, Brookover? B R O O K O V E R. He shoots primarily film and primarily view cameras. Very nice work with a gallery located in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Of course, there are others I like to follow, like Peter Lick, L I K, Thomas Mengelson, who occasionally will shoot film for their landscapes. I have included a roll of thirty-five millimeter black and white for you guys for you guys to test. Thank you very much. Uh, he recently got the rolls from B and Again, I love the podcast and happy to see a long-running podcast devoted to something that matters so much to me. Mark. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's awesome. You warmed the cockles of my heart. When we come back, we're going to be talking about models. You couldn't say that you are a Tim Tam fan if you haven't done the... I call them Tim Tam bombs. I don't know what you call them, where you bite one end and you... In the coffee. Do you like doing that? It's my favorite Would thing Would you care to, to indulge me? Uh, sure. We'll load one up. I think we've got some... Uh, oh, okay. We're going to suck the coffee of, Suck the coffee On television. Why not? Okay. Now, for those... For the uninitiated... <laughs> would, you, uh, would you care to explain? I want sure. you grab your own. You don't have to touch oh, my grubby hand. Okay. <laughs> okay, so basically what you do is you bite a little bit off each end. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it takes a while to chew. Oh. <laughs> and then, without choking on what's in your mouth, you take now, this. Now, don't burn yourself. It could be hot. Suck through. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> Hey, it's Michael Rosso, urging you... Actually, I'm sitting here with William. Hey, William. Where are we? Hey, I'm sitting here with William, and we're in the FPP virtual store. <laughs> wow. I feel like I'm in Tron. So, like, we're inside your computer. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm here to urge you to go find your mom, your grandpops, your friends, Polaroid camera in your closet or attic or basement, anyone you know guarantee you they have a Polaroid camera. Get that camera and start shooting with it. Absolutely, you should do that. And uh, William has been uh, working here in the FPP store, our virtual store that has a you know real three-dimensional shipping department Absolutely, yes. with a real person in it. Yes. If someone orders something, uh, you'll, you'll be talking to them. Yes, I'll be speaking with you. Oh, that's awesome. Once you find your camera, you can come to the FPP store to stock that camera with film, whether it's SX-70, 600, or Spectra with the Impossible Project film because we're an Impossible Project partner store. That's right, and that's very exciting. Or if you find like an old pack camera, we are like your Fuji Pack Film headquarters. Oh, we have Fuji 3000B and we have Fuji 100C. Yeah. Yeah, we have some expired Polaroid in there too. Ooh. Filmphotographystore.com or just click the store tab on our website, filmphotographyproject.com, for all you folks out there. And I can't tell you how many of you have, like, grabbed a Polaroid camera and you're excited. You're like, hey, man, I picked up my Polaroid camera because, you know, you were talking about it so much that I did it myself. And William, there's not one person. They're all like, I love it. 
I've actually been affected. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, he had. What happened? So I was at a garage sale, and I found, what was it? A, uh, Polaroid Impulse. Impulse, which, and I made an impulse buy, and uh, Mike checked it out. It actually works. They're very sturdy little cameras. Sturdy little cameras. Uh, impulse is a 600 camera. It would take uh, the Impossible PX600 or PX680. Now we have the new color protection film, the newest uh, chemistry from the Impossible Project. So, hey, I just wanted to share that with everyone, just so everyone knows. Color protection film. Cool. Filmphotographystore.com. This Polaroid instant camera actually has a computer inside. It works out the exposure. You don't need a light meter. You don't have to measure distance either. The focusing's done for you. And you don't worry about light. The built-in flash gives you just the right amount. That's it. Just press the button. There you are in 90 seconds. Razor-sharp image and bright, lasting colors. Polaroid. Just press the perfect pictures. Hey, we're back. (laughs) Missed you. Models, glamour photography, it's all over the web, especially if you're using Flickr.com. There's so many people shooting models, and way back when, uh, when Dwayne Polkew was co-host of the show, we talked about doing a show on models, which we never did, which leads into this letter from Mike Piper. Mike says, I have been a faithful listener of the podcast since the beginning and have had two of my emails read on the show, as well as suggesting a few topics that also got mentioned, like the found film site, which is Mm westfordcomp.com. I was was a listener who brought up Peter Gowland's passing. That's Peter Gowland, D-O-W-L-A-N-D, the famous pinup photographer. I believe his wife's name is Alice or Alicia. She now runs his site and his business. Mm -hmm. They're classic 1950s pin-up photographer. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, it can't be mistaken for anybody else's. And there. he also uh, machined some cameras. Very or, kooky cameras. Yeah, yeah, modified some cameras. Mm-hmm. He said, mentioning Peter Gowan's passing led to this discussion of his work by both you and Dwayne, and was also one of the people who sent you a Polaroid instant slide processor. You know, I want to thank you, Mike, because uh, it is one of the many that mm-hmm. we've gone through here, and they've been used very many times. He says, you mentioned several times in the past about possibly doing a show on... You can get there. Come on. Nude photography. Naked. Nude photography. I can see a photographer, like, kind of slight wearing glasses. I'd like to get into. You know, he's at a seminar. What type of photography would you like to get into? Raises his hand. Nudes. <laughs> little sweat coming off his brow. Although that prospect didn't seem as likely now as when Dwayne was on the show, I thought I would send you a self-published book that you might still be able to use. I have a particular fondness for glamour photography from the 1950s and 60s, as well as artistic nudes, and have created a very simple website devoted to photographers of that era. It's called glamourphotographers.yolasite, Y-O-L-A-S-I-T-E, dot com. It is a very simple website and I, cre- I created it for free. In the course of my research, I got in touch with one of the few remaining 1950s glamour photographers, David M. Mills, and have helped to put together a blurb book of his images with one of the most famous nude models of the 1950s, Playboy Playmate Diane Weber. There are quite a few Diane Weber collectors out there, and someone in the audience might like to have a copy of this book. Originally, I approached a real publisher and was told that they wanted to see 300 of his images, but as David only had less than 100 of his negatives, he shot a 4x5 crown graphic, by the way, I just decided to help him put 
a book together himself. Mike sent a copy of the book over, which is now in the FPP library. Uh, he says, I wish David had kept all of his negatives as he photographed quite a few glamour girls back in the 1950s. Glamourphotographers.yola site, Y-O-L-A-S-I-T-E dot com. G-L-A-M-O-U-R. Of course, uh, if you go to that website, you will see all the classic 1950s uh, pin-up photography. And I want to thank you, Mike. Yep. Bunny Yeager famous. Yep. And Mike, no, we never did really cover the topic, but Matt Marash, one of the topics today is working with models. Uh, tell us. Tell us what... what well, there, you know, over the past, I don't know, maybe like six months to a year, I've been, I've been talking with you on and off about, oh, should I do this, should I do this group shoot? Should I, should I do any of these, these local shoots? Because a lot of uh, the local photographers around where I'm at do a, um, a large group shoot a couple times a year at uh, this large art center in uh, Toledo, Ohio. I think it's Collingwood Art Center. And it's like a Toledo area, Detroit area folks. They they come in and they get a bunch of uh, models from Model Mayhem. It's free for the models. The photographers pay a, a set price up front and then it's just kind of like scheduling madness. You you block off an hour or two with uh, with a model and you get some shooting in. There's pre, you know, pre-agreed upon things. There is, there's some glamour guys there. There's some much um, more niche guys there too. Doing, doing their kind of shoots. There's, uh, you mean yeah. like Ashuru guys? I believe they called it uh, uh, fetish oh, no. shoots, oh, yeah, those I kind see. of things, yeah. Very right. in, yeah, from, from there's high end fetish yeah. shoots. You can get into yeah. very high end. Yes, there there was the whole gamut there, yes. and uh, one one thing that I, I think was most interesting about the I'm really tempering myself here. I use Leslie as the kind of guide. Like, should that stay in or come out? Oh, that can stay in. Okay. More niche guys there too. Doing doing their kind of shoots. There's uh, you mean yeah. like. Cooter shot guys. <laughs> uh, I believe. I believe oh. <laughs> no, but I, I have some. I have some words about the about the group shoots. You know, it's uh, where is this again? It's at the Collingwood Art Center in Toledo, Ohio. And from what you're saying so far, it seems like what we're talking about offline, which is it's a very mixed bag. It's yeah, it is a mixed bag. Yeah, and you get um, a variety of different models from you know local and moderately experienced to like the very experienced but usually the very experienced folks are the ones that fill up their schedules first you know and right you might get stuck with someone that doesn't know much of what they're doing you know it's you get it's a mixed bag yeah. you may have mentioned it do you have to pay to get in you do have to pay to get in yeah. now are the models supplied through an agency or are they people that simply want to model both both so they're probably just looking i, I mean i guess what they get out of the deal is some Photos. It's a it's a trade York. thing, yeah. yeah. So the models get portfolio work, sort of photographers. So it's like a time for CD so thing. Mike, you yeah. should go to that. You always wanted to be a model. <gasps> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Someone might be just looking. Mike comes Except in. They me. go. You are Except exactly me. what I've been waiting for. Right. You know? But it was uh, it was a very interesting experience. I'm not sure if uh, that's one I want to do again. I started talking to some folks at uh, Photostock about these group shoots, and uh, my buddy Dan Siebold, he does a lot of, um, I would say, ha- the higher-end glamour photography. group shoots, do you mean there's one model and everyone kind of... No, there's like there's like 60 models and 100 photographers. How does that... So seems people like pair it, off. It seems... Oh, yeah, you, you pair off. organize it? it it's, blocked off, it's blocked off by hour, and the model... So the model goes on like the Facebook page and Is says... It hectic? It's... It's a little crazy. I get a hectic picture in my mind. It, it can be hectic. It's more organized. It has to be organized, it, it's, it right? Is, it's very organized, yeah. The, the, the really interesting thing that I found is since it's not, the models aren't paid to show up, so you get, sometimes you get some flakes. 
<laughs> and uh, I guess I guess well, that's it's a, a given. It, yeah, it's a thing. I guess they they, they Actually, call it the flake rate. On yeah. your shoot, yeah. it says group shoots flakes and organization. By yeah, now. yeah. Well, <laughs> there were there were quite a few flakes this time around. Can you expect yeah. flakiness? Um, when you you're should not, when expect you, when it. you're if not you don't get it, you should be yeah. When you are not surprised. lacing their palm with silver, you can yeah. expect flakes. Yeah, if no one's being paid. Yes. Can, I have news for you, Mr. Matt. You can expect flakes with pay. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> this is Part not good news. Part of the makeup of... Oh. Well, I don't oh. Know. Now, is this fashion photography, or are these models getting... new Everything, yeah. It's a little bit of both. It's what they're willing to do. Sometimes you're walking around through the building with the model looking for a place to shoot, and all of a sudden like you turn the corner, and, oh, my God. You kind of have to compose yourself, and you're like, let's just keep walking. Oh, hello. I'm glad <laughs> I had the dark cloth. I could like shave that myself. <laughs> here in the hallway, Darian King. I was shooting her. She was completely naked in the hallway. This hallway. <laughs> and Mark, the audio engineer on the other side, he he walked in, walked into the hallway. And <laughs> same thing. He was like, oh, oh man, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry you had a naked girl in a public place. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, so it's I, it can kind of be like that, and you it's you know throughout the course of the day you get used to these kind of things. But I, I was Ooh. directed by a buddy of mine, Dan Siebel. Right. He, I met him at Photo Stock. He uh, does a lot of these. Um, he does like nudes on location, but it's higher end commercial kind of stuff. He, he recommended I go to the Detroit. Does a similar one, more professionals, less flakes, way more organized, and it costs a little bit more money. But it's because they're paying these models. Right. So um, that's the next one. They kind of filter out the flakes a little bit. Yeah, they do, just because um, they're they have like feedback and forums. And they talk about it. But and the say, photographer's flaky. Um, oh, well, yeah. it doesn't matter because they have to pay to get in. So if they don't oh. show up, they don't pay, and it's right. less for the pool. Yeah. So, and it's a wide, you know, more so than the models, I would say the range of photographers that shows up is really yeah. diverse. Broad. Very, yes. When you have Don't a workshop broad. like that, you <laughs> hey, lady. a lot of broads now. <laughs> right. But then again, if it gets down to from an FPP's perspective, everyone gets in there, they do their work, and, mm-hmm. you know, if people are happy with their work, you exactly. Know, yeah. Like, what. Well, there should be no judgment. Of no, it. no, and there's no, no judgment. Yeah, no. it's just um, it, it's really interesting to see. You know, but if you want to see how a bunch of different people work, going to that is kind of kind of interesting right. too. So basically, will be less less experienced and experienced. Yeah, I, I think what this kind of told me was, I definitely want to work on a. a lesser scale like there are photographers that they all all they ever shoot and sh- and showcase is stuff Ooh. they do at these group shoots like they just schedule around it like so six times or five six times a year they do these shoots and that's how they get their portfolio i could not do that in any way shape or form i, I think what i was my i guess my goal from it was like talent scouting like is this someone i want to work with or right. mm-hmm. are these other photographers i can expect to get you know good models from or well, good work <clears throat> now if you're an aspiring glamour photographer would this be a good place to start to get a little experience um, of how to conduct yourself during a shoot? I think that would be a good thing. So you'd, you'd still have to pay if you weren't going right. to shoot, but it, it, would, it would be a good thing just to see how other people work. Um, a lot of the people are very open, very cool with um, you know explaining how they go about things. It's just kind of like, as long as you're not in my way, you're okay kind right. of thing. You know, As long as you're not interrupting the flow of the shoot. Because it is... There is pressure because you only have like an hour or two right. hours on these blocks. Are photographers securing releases or each individual photographer is d- has their own style? Okay, so Mike, you're going to get angry. I did not No, no, wait, wait, wait. I don't get angry anymore. Okay. Oh, that's good. No angry, Mike. <laughs> when's, seriously, when's the last time I got angry? I, it's been years, right? Years, yeah. Remember how I used to snap at John? Used to. <laughs> <laughs> you just do it in a more tempered manner. What's going on in a, uh, from a release perspective? And we'll explain that in a second. The professionals have releases, which is great. And I know there's, for the group shoot, there's a certain expectation to releases, but 
it's not inf it's not enforced to the degree it should be. Like everybody should be carrying releases. Is there a, a, a general release as part of the workshop so someone who's shooting at the workshop can use their photography for whatever they want because they shot it at a paid event, therefore they're kind of covered, or no? I think they are you know, loosely covered by that, mm. but they still should get a release, and I didn't mm. see a lot of that going on. So, Do you carry a release? I carry FPP releases. Oh, there you go. So. <laughs> if you go to filmphotographystore.com, there are actually model releases in the store. Pad they're cheap. Cheap, uh, yeah. Like you get a pad. Or something, yeah. yeah. They're great. I think that anyone shooting models or people that's not like street photography should kind of know the ABCs of modeling, yeah, of model photography. Or just, yeah, just do, do a quick look up um, the site that Mark gave us is, is a good place to start. You know, just like find out what you want. Have, you kind of have to have a concrete idea of what you want to right. before you go into something like that. Matt, there are these, work, these workshops are all over the place. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Paige, FPP, Paige Davis, she wanted to take a drawing class, so she went on meetup.com. Oh, meetup, okay. Yes. And she discovered that right here in this area, there are quite a few um, model workshops for photography that involve, you know, d nudity. Okay. Nudity? <laughs> <laughs> is there a stigma attached to shooting nude models? Um, I don't think it's a stigma as much as it's kind of the people put the blinders on to the, the good stuff that's going on and like they just focus on the negative connotations. So like the negatives always get the more attention. Than but, like your perverted photographer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was talking about that. No, oh, okay. no, no. Yeah, and I want to hear what you know other pe other other people think about uh, mo working with models, and because we we get a lot of listeners writing in about everything else, I want right. to hear what they their Pod experiences. Podcast at podcast at filmphotographyproject dot com. Boing. If you'd like to email us your nude pictures, <laughs> <laughs> you could just attach them. Oh no, please no. Send them attention <laughs> to Mike Rasso. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I always recommend Flickr.com. We don't talk about Flickr enough. I know Flickr changed the format, but people going to Flickr for the first time won't notice. Yeah. I have no problem with it. That's I'm annoying. Fine. I'm fine. My grading would have been a nightmare some anyway. It doesn't work great on some computers. It doesn't work great at all on, on the, my computer. On, on the mobile devices, it's excellent now. It, it's, it, does this happen to you? When I'll see a photo in someone's photo stream, I'll click on it. It'll come up. And if I want to enlarge it and see it full screen, it'll just start blinking and Freaking there spazzing. are some holes. There's there a couple bugs. Yeah, yeah. It's buggy. Yeah, but it's been a month now, bug. But Come the, on, man. But it didn't work at all for me the first couple really? days. Yeah, it was at all. When we come back. Did we, 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 we cover oh, it all? Can I give a big shout out? Yeah, uh, a buddy of mine that I met at Photostock the first time I went, uh, James Molino. He is specifically a glamour photographer. He does a lot of pinup kind of work. Very mm -hmm. cool stuff. Very Everything cool stuff. is uh, analog. He also buys and collects old glamour negatives oh, and oh. prints them in the darkroom yes. and, and sells those. So he mm -hmm. makes his living selling fine art prints. Uh, James Molino. He. Yeah, he gave me a bunch of posing guides. He sent me all these PDFs on, you know, here's some poses you might want to work for, work towards. So it really helped me prepare for the group shoots. And a couple weeks ago, he provided me with these really awesome 80s videos. They were like Secrets to Glamour Photography. Oh, and they were, like the, they were like the New York Institute of Photography series on glamour photography. And as long as you can handle too much makeup and too much hair, yeah, they're not. really informative videos. Yeah, 80s. It's so 80s, but it, great stuff. And he's a great guy, awesome resource for how do you get to him? There's that. Come on. Matt, you need to contact off air here. Track agency in Detroit. Hey. Who is it? Track. Track? Yeah. T R A Q U E. 
So oh, uh, excellent Lucky's agency. Headquarters. You can find James' work at darkroomist.com. Yes. Darkroomist. Darkroomist.com. So nice. Cool. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael Rosso. If you're shooting talent or shooting a model, whether it's trade for print or it's a paid model, you should have a model release form. I cannot stress enough. I've certainly mentioned it on the show many times. What show? In order to utilize your work in the future on the web, in printed materials, in books and magazines, you will need to have a model release form in your portfolio. When a publisher is going to publish your book, they will request model release forms. Holy sheesh. The FPP store now carries model release forms. Filmphotographystore.com and go into camera accessories. When shooting a model, it's always great to get a model release and either a digital or can be film shot of that model's ID. ID and model release are key to proving that you own your work. Get a model release. Thanks. Yeah. Big. Bigger. Big as life. Imagine showing pictures of your own youngsters as big as they are and in glorious color. It's easy with Kodak color slides. And today, it's easier to take your own color slides than ever before. Thanks to a brand new simplified Kodak camera, the Pony. The new Pony is simply beautiful to see and beautifully simple to operate. It loads in a jiffy and you're ready to shoot. It makes color slides as easy to take as snapshots. Beautiful color slides, clear, sharp, and lifelike. Of course, you can get fine color enlargements too. But the most exciting thing of all about the new Pony camera is its price. Just $26.75 or less than $3 down. The new Pony is just one of many outstanding new 35mm cameras by Kodak. You can see them demonstrated this week, wherever you see this sign. Remember, when the camera you choose is made by Kodak, you know it's good. This is Rick Paul in Tucson, Arizona for the Film Photography Podcast. Today I'm here to talk to you about the Nikon F3 professional film body. Development of the F3 began as early as, as 1973. It was the longest serving camera model Nikon ever produced. They introduced it in 1980 and when the Nikon F5 was introduced in 1996, the F3 was still in production, and in fact, it remained in production through 2001, so for over 20 years. In that time span, they produced 751,000 F3s, and I think you'll find most of those are still out there being used today. It's still one of the most uh, prolific film bodies in, in use. Another interesting fact about the F3, it was actually considered to be the first digital SLR. The F3 body was used as the basis for one of the very first digital SLRs, the Kodak DCS100. Uh, so they used an F3 body for that and incorporated a digital sensor on it, and that was released by Kodak in 1991. It's a little bit of interesting uh, digital history there, too. So the development of the F3 was, was interesting. Uh, if you look back to the, to the Nikon F and the F2, they had the interchange photomic viewfinder where the exposure meter was built into the viewfinder but that 
was a bit of a problem. You could only do metering when that type of viewfinder was on. If you went to a waist level finder or the action finder or something like that, you lost your exposure meter because they didn't have an exposure meter in it. But the engineering development group at Nikon was already working on a new technology. Instead of metering from the viewfinder, they were working on a way to perform TTL metering from within the camera body. There were similar technologies available at the time, but most of them caused the viewfinder to darken, others um, shaded the field of vision. And there was also a problem with the accuracy of the metering function. So clearly they saw that a new idea was necessary. So after years of research, they actually developed a pinhole mirror. On the reflecting side of the reflex mirror, there are a number of tiny pinholes, and that allows light to pass through those holes to the metering sensor. By changing the placement of the holes, the metering function became fairly flexible, and there's no problem with the viewfinder's visibility, and it enabled a very accurate metering system. The other thing this enabled was TTL flash control. Now, today, TTL flash control is a very common feature, but back at this time, this was pretty revolutionary. And the TTL flash control allowed the light from the speed light to be measured so that the, the camera could actually control how much light this, the flash was putting out. Again, a revolutionary concept back when the F3 was introduced. So in March 1980, the camera of the 70s, being the F2, was succeeded by the camera of the 80s, and the Nikon F3 received very favorable reviews at the time. It had some other notable features, such as an, an LCD uh, display inside, uh, which set the standard for cameras to come, and a hand grip on the body, which became a Nikon uh, camera standard ever since. It also reinforced the view that high-class cameras should have style and design uh, that express the things that they can do. So what are some of the basic uh, functions of the of the F3 that make it unique? Well, it, imp it provided an improvement in basic function and an emphasis on technology and actually possesses some characteristics not found in, in other Nikon cameras. It was the first Nikon Pro body with auto exposure. It used an aperture priority auto exposure system with stepless shutter speeds from 8 seconds up to 1 2000. That was pretty remarkable at the time. Quartz timing is used to maintain shutter speed accuracy when switched to the manual mode. While still employing a horizontal travel shutter, the ultra-reliable shutter in the F3 was lab-tested with a result of 150,000 exposure cycles, which was much better than its nearest contender, the Canon F1, at its 100,000 exposure cycles. The F3 could also support ISO film speeds up to 6400, which was, again, pretty remarkable for the time. It also came, as an accessory, a really good motor drive, the MD4, which provides a top performance of 6 frames per second. Um, I, I have an MD4 on my F3, and I can tell you it's, it is a really, really nice, uh, nice auto winder. It has a very simple but, but accurate center-weighted metering system, an 80-20 metering system. Uh, one nice thing about the MD4 is when you mount the MD4, the power supply on that takes over the, uh, the power for the metering system on the rest of the camera body. It was also the last uh, pro-spec model from Nikon that provided a mechanical backup speed. It still had a mechanical 1 60th of a second uh, shutter speed, which you could use when all other batteries had failed. One thing the F3 still lacked that you see today on most cameras, it still lacked a hot shoe. No hot shoe for the, for the flash. Instead, you had to put a little adapter over the film rewind crank, similar to the F2. Or there was a, a special flash, SB17, which had basically that little adapter kind of built into it. So the SB17 could not go on a normal hot shoe, but it could slide around onto the F3. I've actually got an SB17 up for my F3, and it is a nice little flash unit. The F3 had a lot of accessories you could get for it. You, you had six different kind of viewfinders. Uh, the most common you'll find today is the called the HP, the high point viewfinder. It was also available standard with the DE2 level finder. If you're looking for, to buy one, I'd really recommend getting one with the HP. 
And that's the typical one you're going to find. Uh, it was also available with a, a multiple data back options, including two different versions of a 250 exposure bulk film back. And there was 22 different uh, focusing screen options, which are still pretty easy to find today. So how does this camera handle? Um, I'll tell you, it's it's really my favorite film body. It just it just feels right in your hands. It's very solid. It's very lightweight. Um, it's not that heavy of a camera. It's probably my lightest one of my lightest film bodies, primarily because it doesn't have you know a lot of batteries in it. It just has the, the, those two little uh, you know watch type batteries in it. It doesn't have a bunch of double A's or anything in it. So it, it's pretty lightweight. It's also a special camera to me. This camera came out when when I was in high school. That, that probably dates me a little bit. Um, but it was the camera I wanted at the time and I couldn't afford. And, and even later on in years, um, it just wasn't the camera a camera I could afford. When I finally could afford a Nikon, technology had moved on and I went on to a, a newer body. Um, so I picked up mine just a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm really happy with it. It really has become my favorite go-to film body. It does have that LCD display in it for shutter speed. That can be kind of difficult to read in low light. It does have a little uh, light uh, that you can push, a little button that lights it up. It helps a little bit, but it's but it's not ideal. So that's that's about it for how it, it handles. Where can you buy a, an F3? Well, to typical places. KEH has them. They're pretty easy to find on eBay. You want to watch out for the condition. Uh, really, the F3 is pretty rock solid. If all else fails, you can always use it for a hammer. It's just so solid. So I think most of them out there are still in pretty good shape. I was able to pick mine up, and I'll tell you, it, it looked brand new. It doesn't look like anyone had ever used it. There wasn't a scratch on it. And I picked it up for about $250. Um, I think you can generally find models in pretty good condition for anywhere between $200 and $300. When you get up to about $400, you should really be expecting a really, really pristine uh, mint body. That, that's it for this time. I, I hope you enjoyed my discussion of the F3. And uh, next time I talk to you, I'll be talking about the F4. So that's it. Uh, this is Rick Paul signing off for the Film Photography Podcast. second excitement. It's everywhere. Do you have your Polaroid color pack camera? I'm John Estwards. I'm 23. I live in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and I'm a Polaroid artist. So how did you get into photography? Um, I mean, you got into Polaroid right when it was on its uh, last stand. So what, what drew you to the uh, the format? Yeah, well, I was never really interested in photography when I was younger. I was uh, a lot more serious about drawing. And then I think uh, when I was about 14 or something, I, I was just exploring like web communities, like noticing the popularity of photography, which didn't really occur to me until that point. And... Uh, so, like, after, I think, about a year of just experimenting with uh, digital and, and maybe a bit of film photography, I, I, 
was given my first Polaroid camera, which uh, is, a, is a Polaroid Spectre camera. Yeah, so I've been using that to this day. Um, oh yeah, and just like the immediacy of having like a complete work of art right away, like really appealed to me about Polaroids. And then like as I explored it more and more, and accidentally discovered that I could do multiple exposures with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt like there was endless potential with that. I could really build up some layers to create pretty interesting worlds. I, I think drawing kind of phased out of my life, which was a bit unfortunate because, like, yeah, what what originally appealed to me was drawing is that you could uh, create anything you can imagine on, like, a piece of paper. Photography kind of actually has that same potential if you create it through other means, like in the in the physical world, and just uh, use some layering techniques. And the Polaroid camera gives you, I guess, more depth or more possibilities than, let's say, regular uh, thirty-five millimeter camera or medium format camera. Uh, yeah, I've never tried me- medium format, but I kind of had like a four-year drought from using thirty-five uh, millimeter. I-, I think it was, yeah. I've sort of had a weird relationship with it ever since I once shot this uh, 36 photo black and white rule of film that just didn't turn out and I was really looking forward to getting those photos. I kind of stopped using 35mm until I think just last December I replaced my old battery and I'm on my my fourth roll of 35mm uh, now since then. The problem with Polaroid film for me right now is that it's so hard to get and the film I do have is really expired so mm-hmm. the image Images aren't too clear lately for me, so I can get a lot more clarity with uh, 35 millimeter. So I mean, what what do you think is your 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 vision for your work? I, I mean, if you if listeners look at your work, they see that you're using this fiber and projectors and all sorts of things and, and layering a lot of images on top of each other to create this this a lot of depth in, in, in the image. How did you get into the whole fiber thing? I mean, what, what's your goal with using all these techniques and the Polaroid camera with it? Well, I guess the more I explored uh, photography, I really I started to feel like it wasn't enough for me to just shoot the world around me, especially in an urban. Uh, growing up in an urban area, there just wasn't enough to shoot, so I had to start creating my own world. Basically, I, I really wanted to start doing this through sculptural means. I was working with wax for a while, which I I really want to get back into. Um, and I think sort of how this fiber material began is when I, I made a, a, a cast of my hand in wax. Mm-hmm. And I have this one photo. And I made like a nest for the hand out of this really weird yarn I had. I don't know. I just had yarn around me for a while. And I, I guess my friends caught on sort of. And I was at my friend's house doing art this one night. Like There were a bunch of people around a table and they were all um, making these scenes out of yarn like uh, like drawings out of yarn basically hmm. gluing gluing yarn onto paper uh, which I didn't really want to do but I, I started exploring that cutting up the yarn into little bits and just making like a, a weird texture out of the yarn on paper and that's sort of like how it was born I guess it's not the way that I do this now I don't know if I should uh, release all the details on that mm-hmm. right now yeah. but are you doing this, this- this fiber work to include strictly in your pictures or are you doing it as a sculptural 
art and then it's just finding its way into your photography? I mean, was it something that you strictly meant to create to put inside your images or, or was it something else? I just feel like it has an endless potential with the the way that I'm I'm working it right now. I I did intend to uh, to use it in my photos from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking for like sculptural outlets. I just became really comfortable with uh, this fiber process and the potential of it. And I went from just making little strips of it to making masks and hats. And uh, I even made a shirt out of it. You talked about the fiber thing. How did you start incorporating like these projected images and light into your into your photography? I mean, if people look at your work that has all these figures and bodies and they all have these, I guess, psychedelic and somewhat surreal um, images projected onto them. What what led you onto that? It's all part of uh, trying to create my own world. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and just like how uh, how the human world, how, how society, uh, it doesn't really work for me. And I, I want to build my own world through any means I can. And like, I've, I've found a few processes I've been comfortable with, this fiber technique that that I don't think anyone else is doing right now. So all, all these these mediums were just uh, another way to create something fantastical that was out of the ordinary, out of urban. Yeah, urban I guess. Like I really appreciate nature though, and like all the the weird um, creatures like created by nature, all the all the weird land and everything. And I, I feel like as a human, uh, you have some of that potential to to build anything you want to and just like work the same way that nature works and like create like your own creatures and that that's what i'm really trying to do i guess i'm building a human a bit at a time i've got all the parts and i've done the design out here in my shed i can put him together Got marbles for ice and his skin is old leather Got powerful legs and there's one extra hand Cause I need a good drummer to play in my band I'm hoping he'll get me some publicity Make sure that he's more photogenic than me Got some big ideas in store I'm gonna win a Nobel Prize for science And maybe even more With my homemade human A homemade human made at home A homemade human A homemade human
Hey, we're back. These are some great topics. We're going to start. We're going to lead in, lead in these topics with some letters. Mm-hmm. The lead right into uh, this is from Greg Garner. He says, um, "Just a quick link from one of your regular listeners. This is his blog. I think it's bluegoostudios.com. Blues what? B l u e g o o s t u d i o s dot com. He says I talk about my recent work developing black and white film at home. Oh. It's so easy." So easy. I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd love a, if y'all talk about any experience you have with developing color negative film at home. Oh. We'll talk a little bit about that, not much. Some YouTube videos make it seem like it's not that difficult. Keep these shoes yeah. coming, and good luck with the store. I've passed your store's link to another local film photographer. Your prices are, without a doubt, the best out there, and the turnaround is quick. It's like a dream. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Greg. Yeah. We do. It's fast turnaround. As we sit here and talk, FPP William is over toiling in the FPP <laughs> warehouse. When he's not getting me coffee, he's <laughs> over there sending out packages. That's right. So please do go to filmphotographystore.com. There's an amazing amount of stuff in there these days. We're going to be talking mostly about black and white developing. Mm-hmm. We'll talk. Well, let's talk a little bit about the color right now. I think we've come to the consensus, myself and Leslie, you guys could weigh in. Yeah, we don't just care really to, what you think. But <laughs> just to, we just send it out. We send it Why out. is that, Leslie? Color processing needs a very tight temperature control. Half a degree makes it hard to scan. Mm. It's something called crossover, impossible to print in the old wet print type of yep. world. But um, a lot of people, well, I hate to say this, a lot of people that today say it, are really not aware of what a good pr- color print will look like or a balanced color print will mm. look like. Yeah, they just fix it in Photoshop. They, uh, they try to right. or they don't <laughs> even know how much to fix it in Photoshop. Auto color, the job is done. Color processing, color negative processing is difficult to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, now, I do know some folks that do their own large format color work at home. But they have a Jobo, yes. and that t- it mitigates because it's that temperature, temperature control. Yeah. That makes it a little bit easier. And it's almost easier to do E6 than it is C41. And really? a lot of them do the E6. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've come to the same conclu- conclusion. Leslie has just doing it at home is it's a headache and a half. It's fun, but yeah, I've you know I've done it do a handful. It, do it times. once for the experience, or exactly. buy a tetanol but, kit, and it's but done. But the first time you ruin a. Big old neg. You have a streak down there. It's uh, well. Would you're done. you? Would you? Uh, we can say anything we want because Mike's not here right now. That oh, you know, there are certain <laughs> rolls of film that perhaps you don't really care so much. You're not about. so invested. You just in, want to get yeah. the I- the image out, and whatnot. But if you have stuff that you know you really put your heart and soul into. Those things you should definitely yeah, and having send a, out. having a lab you trust is another another part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I send stuff out to the darkroom, thedarkroom.com, I mean, I know it's going to be great. It's going to be good. Yeah. Yes, and it's going to be fast. So, what's the cons- what's the general consensus here? Send, send it, it out. out. Send it out. If it's anything of any worth, or you know, something that you really put a lot of yourself into, you should send yeah, it out. And if you're not confident that the area you're working in, that's the most important, the area you're working in, if, if you can't keep a consistent temperature and humidity in there, how are you going to keep that same temperature consistency mm. in the process right. without right. something helping you like a Jobo? Well, let's talk about black and white developing because I've, uh, as of late, now I do my own black and white processing here at the FPP studio in the little room I showed you guys. I have so many questions. You know, I'm using Kodak D76. Classic. But I just didn't. I didn't know. Like, comes in the powder, and you make a stock solution. Did mm-hmm. Mark give you yes. any of that, by the way? No. <laughs> mm. 
Very greedy. You know? Oh, I'll talk to I heard about, about that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'll talk to him. The great thing about Mark Dalzell, he's FPP guy, he's not here today, is that he doesn't listen unless he's on the show, so we can say anything we want about oh. him. <laughs> great. Don't worry. I'll, I'll hook you up. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, so once the solution is stock, yep. there's a certain time for processing. And I just found out that you can cut it one-to-one. Yep. Or half, more. Half oh. stock, half water. Yep. Hmm. Or... or more yep. one three mm-hmm. one five. What the amazing thing, John? Which yeah. you know, I'm just such a hack when it comes to. I kind of slop it together, right. and only recently have I started like you know to be oh, meticulous. About oh, it. it has to be 68 degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm now paying attention to that. But the fact that you could use different solutions to get different grains, mm-hmm. a tighter grain, mm-hmm. a grainier image, tells me that this really is a craft and that you're not going to just jump in and be an expert. Right. But if you work at it over the course of, you know, probably not so, not not too long, you start picking up all the information. Then next thing you know, you're passing along information about, oh, no, you want a tighter grain? Use this solution. Mm-hmm. What is the developing solution? What's someone to do, Leslie, well, see, this who's is just the whole starting? Thing. You need your basics. Yes. And once you get your basics, you can work on from that. And so find, find what you like within the basics. Find what you like for what you use. Yep. So you of course, understand developers... the process first, then experiment. Yes, exactly. of course. You, you start off basically, you've got a choice of powder or liquid. You can buy chemistry already like this. We're going to talk primarily maybe about uh, film developers. Paper developers come the same way and have the same issues. Common powder developers? G76. <laughs> <laughs> Accufine? X-Tall. X-Tall. Diafine? That classic from the uh, 60s, She's So Fine? But there are so many Like why would you want X-Tall when you have D76 Like why That's one of the things that once you start to use them You'll find out the differences between them And I like X-Tall I like I think it's finer. Um, I love I can use it on any film. And, of course, you can D76 as well. It's a vitamin C developer, too. It's a very basic developer. X-Tall is probably my favorite powder developer. Then you also have your liquid developers. Mm-hmm. HC110. There you go. Another one that's been around for a million years. Pyro. Mm-hmm. Rodinol. Rodinol. Ilfasol. Ilfatac. John, it's a lot. A lot of information, right? It is. Okay, so let's, let's, let's mix up some powder developer here. Okay. All right? We got a package of D76. Easy to get and dirt cheap. Yes. What's the first thing you do when you mix up powder developer? First thing you do is you read the instructions on the outside. <laughs> because it's going to give you an amount of water to start with. And the temperature. And a temperature to start Usually with. Usually hot water. Very. You've got to melt. And some are two-part, A, B. You need to mix them in the right order, too. Because you, if you go out of order, you'll get these clumps and it'll never come out. And you will be unhappy. And it will mix up and tell you that this package makes a gallon of developer. Right. That's considered stock solution. That's the stock. That's what you start with when you start start with. Now, you can develop your film in stock. But. Not but. You can develop your film in stock with the advantage of. Reusing it. Reusing it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Now, of course, the advantage is is you get some miles out of that. The disadvantage is. There has to be some, right? Yes. When this is sitting on the shelf, it isn't always at the perfect temperature. So you've got to temper it up or down. You've got to reheat it. Yep. Yep, heat it up or down. And right. also, and I had this comment made to me from a customer very recently who buys a liquid fixer from me. She wants lung-wise the least amount of powder in the darkroom possible. What do you mean lung-wise? She doesn't want to breathe in any more powder. Oh, okay. When you're mixing up powder, you have to be very, very careful because the, the uh, one of the main ingredients in D76, your metal. Uh, is a sensitizer, and it's also an irritant for a lot of people. But as a sensitizer, that means the first time you breathe it in, it might not be that bad. Mm -hmm. But the second time you breathe it in, 
you're going to get inflammation. Cumulative. Yeah. Really? And yeah. This is when you're mixing it. This is when you're well, When you're mixing it, so. it it's, it's the worst because it's getting in your lungs. Airborne. Also, Also, when you're uh, developing it, you should use gloves. Wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Yes. So follow your temperature, develop it in order, make your stock solution. Says a gallon, makes a gallon, put it on the shelf, keep using it. Four, how long? Four, four. They they will give you a recommended amount of rolls. D seventy six in a gallon, I believe, is sixteen rolls of thirty six exposure, and they will equate that to sheets of four by five rolls of one twenty for you as well. Uh, stretch it, yes, you can, but you're going to start to see your image quality drop. Weren't we, weren't we talking about the other day when, uh, when when you first arrived? Were we looking at the web and we were looking something up? You can't take everything on the web as gospel. And sometimes on the web, because you see, you'll, like if you do a search for a developer, you'll get like a photo.net forum, or you'll get a. Um, APUG, APUG, and you'll get a thread, and you'll see someone commenting, but some of the comments are not true. Just like there's, there's there was a comment about x-ray film that exposing it to the red light that it's going to ruin your film. Yeah, it's well, there's always someone, there's always going to be an argument going on, and that's like the forum drama, you know, that we were talking about yeah. earlier. And it's But if you're just looking for quick information, sometimes you could go down a wrong path. Um, I would say if you want to avoid said wrong paths, go to uh, like the massive dev chart. They're, they're a very good resource. They, they kind of filter through a lot of... right. A lot of the mess. Well, that's our that's our stock solution. That's yes, stock. and you can use that. If we go back to the massive developing chart. Sometimes it'll just say the word stock, and then it'll start in with this one semicolon one. Yes, that's one, your dilutions. Semicolon four. Yes, that is your dilutions. That's called a working solution. Yep. And when you start to dilute a part of your developer into water, it's going to be considered a one shot. You do not reuse this once you dilute it. You don't it. pour it back into your you stock. You do not pour it back. You'll ruin common common dilutions one to three, one, one to, to four, one, one to one, mm-hmm. one to fifty, one to a hundred. Why would you whoa whoa? Oh, and I believe Matt's <laughs> doing one to five hundred, are you not? Doing one to a thousand. With the D what? not with D seven. Not with D seventy six. No, 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 with my developer. So yeah. there again, this is things that people have fine tuned to themselves. And this is and this isn't something you you know, you dive right into it. Right. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have a wealth of information in their heads. That don't share it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's their, their own thing. Yeah. Over the years, have developed all these techniques. Of course. And maybe you'll see them on the web in a forum giving some good information. Does this massive dev chart that you speak of have all these formulas in it? They have a lot of the this th- massive chart they you have, speak of. Well, they have the d- the solutions and times for specific films and specific developer combinations. So yeah, they, they and a lot of times follow the asterisk because uh, there's comments yeah. such as this has not been fully tested or reported or whatever, and there's additional information. But they're, they're a great starting start- point. They're a great starting point, and then you can tweak from there. Mm. John, do you see yourself now that you have your scanner up and running? And you're shooting black and white. Why wait to send it out? Do you see getting to a point where you're going to start developing your own? Uh, definitely. Uh, and because my question is, why is black and white so much more expensive to develop out? At a lab? At a lab. Because it's the it's time. cheap to do at home. It's the time. Are they're labs using a machine to develop black no, and white? No, they're paying a kid to slow. Oh, no, not necessarily. Yeah. It right? can be machine done, yeah. too. It can be machine done, but mm-hmm. most of the time, those labs will not have that, that that offer color, and they're paying a kid to soup yeah, it. Since so. my kids stop picking up foreign objects and exploring them, I'm going to be developing. That'd be about eighteen, right? Nineteen years. That old. is a common. That not. is a common concern. A room where you could have this chemistry safe from yeah. small children. Yes, definitely, very much. So. It's kind of why cathanol's nice. Yeah. Yes. Look at my computer screen. It's yeah. got scratches and hand marks. And right. 
Would you? Do you think you're going to explore into the caffeinol first? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. You said that very distastefully. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound like like to cast uh, you know a negative. Is vibe it because on the that. last two times that I've developed in caffeinol, <laughs> you had a very lab, bad experience. I've, I've had some bad experiences yeah. because I, you know I went into the smooth smooth sailors. They have their own little lab. Their own it's a kitchen. I you know offered. I'm like Dane. Do you have any film? Mark, before you know it, I had like six rolls of film to develop. Yeah. And Mark has these massive tanks. Yeah. So I took the recipe and I just multiplied it. But okay. what I didn't realize that the multiplication would affect. It mm. has some kind of scientific, there's some kind of sci- scientific wall you hit. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just multiply the recipe, the amount of water becomes so massive that it just doesn't work anymore. Yep. What is that called? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Does that happen with regular chemistry as well? Um, yeah. Well, we, we no. Have- I mean, because you kind of backtrack it, you know what your you know what your dilution is ahead of time and how to mix up for that quantity. And I'll tell you a real easy way to do that here in a second. But but if you did five but, to one d- dilution, yeah. But your 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 barrel. Okay, I'll tell you how to do that. Go ahead. Easy, easy. But first, though, no, I want to make a point on working. You mix your working solution up from your stock before you develop. So you don't mix your stock up and then also mix working up and put it on the shelf and have it ready for yourself. Um, you mi- you're saying you mix up? You mix it at the at, point of development. Yeah, because your working solution has a very, very short shelf life. Right. Limited okay. life. Okay, so here we go. Mike, you got a big old tank. Yeah, big. Big. There's like six rolls of film in there. Okay. How many ounces does it take to cover it? Probably says on the bottom of the tank. It was I a want, Patterson. It does. I'm going to say... 50. <laughs> I'm going like like for each two rolls of film, it's like 750 milliliters. milliliters. I, I work ounces, but it, yeah. it doesn't really matter. I like to matter. work ounces too, but Let's, let's use D76 1 to 3. Okay. Okay? One part developer, three parts water. Mm-hmm. We know that. Add it together. All right. We need 20 ounces of uh, developer to cover our rolls of film. Yep. Divide it into there. What do you get? I'm lost already. No. I'm <laughs> One to three. Add it together. Four. Okay. Take the four, divide it into 20. Five. Five. five I need five ounces of developer. The rest is water. See? Ta-da. So simple. Okay. One to four. Add it together. You get five. Divide it into 20. You get four. Okay. I need four ounces of developer. <laughs> Add it up to 20. Fingers. There you go. Yeah. Mike needs more fingers. Basically, I can only do two rolls. Basically, you need fingers. to open up the hotline next Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be around. Let's so, see, let, what's four into what, 20? I failed so, twice with caffeinol, so now everyone at Smooth, like, it's down on caffeinol, including John, who oh. wasn't even in the room. Like, oh, no, it no because I saw, the, I saw the sorrow on your face. I'm like, how'd oh. it go, Mike? You're like, oh, not so mm. good. I'm like, oh. Just didn't mix the proper solution. It yeah. happens, and I've I've mixed it wrong before. the The solution that's I'm using. That's a good point to make. Like, not a, you will fail. Yeah, you yeah. Will, of course. Yeah. And failing is part of you know learning and getting better at what you're doing. The right. later at night you do it, to the easier it is mm. to yeah. screw yeah. it up. So, I mean, so don't don't self develop Uncle Louie's 90th birthday party. Yeah. If it's your first time, out, unless you don't like Uncle Louie, yeah, <laughs> go out and blow through a roll just to have a test roll. You should always be testing anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. for your developer and all that stuff. And, and I like diluting the developer because we, as we mentioned, you get a finer grain, but it's also easier to get it up to temp quick because you can temper your water as you're developing. Oh, there you go. You're there, no messing around. So, so, so people just starting out because a lot of listeners have said, "I want to get into processing my film at home." Are you going to suggest the simple D seventy six? I always, I, always I like Xtal. You say D seventy six. I always suggest D seventy six because you can find. You it say Dextal. No, Xtal. Xtal. Powder X- or liquid? X T O L. Powder. Right. And Incredibly easy to mix. Mark, who's not here, I will speak for him. He's an HC-110 man. Okay. Let's talk yeah. about yeah. HC-110, too. Yes, let's talk let's about it. Let's do that. That's a liquid developer. Yes, it is. They're never used 
out of the bottle of stock. A uh, good point. Good point. You can mix stock from them, but almost always you mix working. I think Mark think mix that. whatever Mark mixed, he is reusing. Is that t- correct? So he mixed stock. He mixed stock. He make, made so if yeah. you do. Uh, uh, HC110. B. It's called HC110B. Dilution B. B. They have the famous alphabetical dilutions. Yep. You mix your stock with HC110. One to three? I believe one to three. Yes. Gives you your stock. You can develop in that. Typically, though, dilution B is mixing that further, one to seven. Folks, okay, so it, now here you go. Yes. You can do from your stock mm-hmm. that you've already diluted one to three mm-hmm. dilute it down again then to one to seven some people just draw off enough syrup as they call it because it is like syrup it is and they'll mix it one to 32 if you were really sick puppy, that's the I same could, dilution i could see pouring oh. this on pancakes the way it looks the feel of it the consistency mm-hmm. but you're not suggesting that I by would any means n- never they told me that you had gone Totally insane. Maybe and you want to load a pancake into the back of your camera, make a print, and then develop. <laughs> or shoot it with your pancake lens. <laughs> now, sorry, I um, um, brought Stop. Michael some syringes, actually. Oh, uh, John, they're in the, uh, the back. I just box. saw them. And uh, they're large. They are typically used for... They're terrifying. <laughs> they are terrifying. <laughs> there, so hold them up. I want to shoot you, like, holding them up. And, and they have right. very, very blunt, but be- very, very long yeah. metal needles on them. <laughs> I put the cap inside one. Oh. That's excellent for rodent because, it, uh, first off, it allows you to poke a very tiny hole through the foil in the top of rodent oh. And that keeps the uh, oxygen out. Allows for very accurate measure on these really small... But you don't need hypodermic needles. But they help. You know, you know what else I've used, though, for when I need a small amount for rodent Because rodent is usually 1 to 50. Is I'll use a medicine cup. Oh, that's right. 1 to 50. See, yeah, and that's little, a tiny little, amount little if you're doing cups on top of the medicine. Yeah. two rolls of 120. It's still a tiny amount of developer. And when it gets that small, it gets very critical. You know, I think it's time that the FPP online store carries Basic darkroom materials. Oh boy! Simple I agree. tank. Agreed. Yes. A simple like uh, what do you call it? Measuring beakers. Cylinders. Yes. Yep. Beakers. Be- because there are folks out there who like me. I went to freestyle.com. Freestyle. I was, freestyle. I was satisfied. They since changed their policy. Do not need to order thirty dollars worth of stuff. To- oh, mm-hmm. that's Correct. very important. That is important. Mm-hmm. You just need the basics: a tank, some beakers to measure. Beaker. Thermometer. Thermometer. Incredibly important. Some empty milk jugs. Sure. Running water. Running water. Uh, be- and a small but limited, uh, very very small time in total darkness. Mm, you need to have some darkness. Once you load it into your tank, you're good. You're good. We have not really gone into printing, so I guess we'll take it one step at a time. But if you're scanning at home, I can't tell you how satisfying it is to shoot, come back, process mm. yourself. It doesn't take long at all. No. No. Next thing yeah. you know, you have processed, beautiful negs in your hand, and you just sit there like... Counting the minutes till they dry. I asked someone the other day, I said, now, when you pull it out of the fixer, do you peek at the last few frames before you start the wash? Do you? Oh, of course. I want to see the, I want to see the yeah. image. Looks nice. good. Yeah. Fold it up. Wash it. I'm, worthy, worthy of the water. Since I do trays in the darkroom, I get antsy sometimes, and I have like a countdown time from when it's in the fix 
that I can still throw it on when it throw the lights on when it's in the fix and still look right. at them. You can after mm-hmm. a few minutes it's after safe a few and minutes, then you can finish it. it. I don't wow, recommend so it. So exciting. It is yeah, you're just, you're just ready for it, yeah. But yeah. for me I'm in the darkness for like 45 minutes at a time. So. And whether yeah. you're shooting 35 millimeter, uh, medium format, large format, I mean you could all do this at it's home. All, yeah, and the process carries over. You know, it right. doesn't get much more the technique is different for, yeah. you know, each film, but the dilutions and stuff that that carries over. Mm-hmm. You're just using typically more volume as the size of your film goes up more you know you're putting more solution on right. it that's the difference mm-hmm. and if you're shooting 110 because uh sure. there was a 110 black and white film by lamography mm-hmm. the orca 110 you could even soup that up yourself well, leslie, I've done it. leslie can you get out your teacup yes no i no. didn't have a reel oh i didn't no, have yeah, a reel your... to um develop my 110 this is great so i put a clothespin on the end of the roll and just kind of solutioned it back and forth in a teacup <laughs> for real no check this I out did. look at this this is great. I oh, found this. This is just adorable. I found a Nikkor reel in my stuff from Minox Film. Holy smokes. It is so it's adorable. So tiny. So tiny. Holy schnikes. Is that uh, that is smaller than 110, correct? This is smaller than 110. Yeah. I was hoping. Leslie's 16, holding. Right? 16 millimeter yeah. reel you can use for Leslie's 110. holding up a classic metal reel. How do you wind the film on a metal reel? You got to pinch the center and stick the film in. There's a little clip on the very. You start. Inside. You start at the inside and you wind out. And then you go. Is it difficult? Um, it's like first... anything. Once you get used to it, you, you'll probably crimp it maybe the first couple times. Yeah, but the advantage to using stainless steel is you can load film while the reel is still wet. If you use a plastic reel, the reel oh. has to be bone dry. Bone dry. Bone dry. Bone yeah. dry, and you got to make sure those uh, little um, uh, ball bearings. Are not, aren't, aren't stuck. Aren't sticky. Yes. Had, Give them a tick. I've had yeah. some bad experiences, Matt, in the dark room. With what? The plastic reel? I have a plastic reel. Oh. I, I, I load it. I develop it. <laughs> F. This is the kind of I like. Oh. <laughs> it's never looked. I've never looked better. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, this old-timey, so uh, you got to oh. slap it. I load my film, develop mm-hmm. it, and I find out that there are... Pieces of film that are stuck together. Stuck together because of the moisture. And yeah. oh, that's because of moisture. Wait, moisture what the kind reel, of reels maybe. are you using? Plastic. And not the chemistry happening. did not hit that part of the film. Yeah, they touch. Yeah. Or if you're foolish and don't measure the enough chemistry, like, that happens. Uh, on let's say you're developing medium format, yeah. not enough chemistry is in the tank. It'll, it'll be a streak across the whole roll. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's painful because you went through the process only to find out that you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping it all up, bringing it all together. People who want to process at home, where does the starting point is with the simplest chemistry? Mm-hmm. Yes. D76, Dextol. Yeah, something widely X-tall. known, X-tall. widely X-tall. used. X-tall. I'm sorry, Dextol is a paper developer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dextol. So, yeah, something very common, something widely used that right. you know millions of people have res- gotten results with. Nice. Yeah. yeah! Yeah, the more complicated your developer is, the the more chances for fail. When we come back, we're going to be talking about negative storage. Yep, 110 Film is back. The Film Photography Store is now stocking fresh 110 film. And if you don't have a camera, 110 new and vintage cameras. That's right, filmphotographystore.com. Support the FPP. Check out, try, revitalize your interest in 110 film. 110 film is back. You thinking about trying it? You've never shot 110? Now's the time to do it. Filmphotographystore.com. We're carrying the new Lomography, the Orca 110 black and white. That's 100 ASA 110 film. The Lomography Tiger. Tiger 200 film. That's 200 ASA color film. 
The very last batch, 2010 expired, Fujifilm. 110 200 ASA John Fideli's favorite and the Lomography Red Scale Lobster 110 film amazing and most recently and most exciting a brand new color slide film Lomography Peacock 110 color slide film awesome new 110 film stocks now's the time to check it out filmphotographystore.com it helps the FPP very appreciative of all the folks that have been to the film photography store please do check it out thank you very much hey we're back hey here's a letter from Bill Bins Bill Bins (laughs) Bill Bins dear FPP Shooting and processing my own black and white and color film over the last year has really broken me out of the fi- photographic doldrums. Yeah, it's not good to be in the doldrums. No, I don't. Nope. The one thing I miss from shooting digital is not, is not the big screen on the back of the camera. It's EXIF. EXIF. Yep. What is data. EXIF, Matt? <laughs> it's, the, it's the metadata that the camera imparts, telling you the lens, the exposure, uh, aperture, all that fun stuff. I really rely on EXIF to understand what I did right and wrong to a given photo. Oh. I have been led to believe that serious film photographers back in the day always kept notebooks mm-hmm. to record exposure info and other notes about every shot they took. They still do. True, correct? Yeah, so they do. still do, yeah. I would be interested to hear how this workflow functions, keeping all this info straight from shooting, through processing, and to negative storage organization. It seems a little overwhelming. Love the show. Thanks. P.S. Isn't there a medium format Pentax or Bronica that actually printed exposures on the margin of the negatives? Yes. Oh, what the is The Pentax that? 645N uh, FPP correspondent Alex Laux shoots with one. Most of the medium format autofocus cameras printed, not EXIF data, but they printed the aperture and the exposure on oh, there. That's yeah. awesome. But let's t- talk a little bit about negative storage, what to do. And very quickly, I'll just relay before I just pass it out to you guys out here. Me personally, I I'm, take my negatives, I put them in an envelope, I put the date, type of film, the camera used, and then I just put them on the shelf in a box. That's it. You don't put them in uh, plastic sleeves? I have not put them in plastic Why sleeves. I, th- I thought of all people you would. Uh, I didn't start that way. Now my collection of negatives is so massive that I mm. feel... You just I, kept them in the, in, the, in the sleeves they were in when they got developed? I or? don't know. I feel that the negatives are more compressed and easier to store in a box. The sleeves become books. Books yes. become volumes. Volumes yes. become heavy. Oh, <laughs> but they're datable. Yeah. You can go right to a year. You could. I'm That's getting remarkable amounts of uh, rolls in these big plastic books as you call them you are one i'm putting 110 120 uh 35 all together in there i've got like maybe 30 30 you have a book so that has far. the, the plastic it's a big sleeves. plastic i guess archive book it has two little flaps on the side that open up and it it's holding quite a lot and is, is a spiral like in the a, middle yes it's a like a spiral and you can binder. add pages Yep. yep. So I bought the pages off of uh, Amazon and yes. the book, and I'm just filling it up. And are I they stick my 110 quality? and the 35. That's what they say they are, yeah. Smell them. Smell Can the them? heat smell cause them. the plastic Yeah, what are they supposed to, to smell like? If you smell um, plastic, it's not safe. Oh, really? It'll be fine. If they're odorless, it's safe. Ah, it's a, it's I didn't a basic, know that. but yes. Well, it says archive on it. Because them, you don't so. want the plastic to start melting into your negative. Uh, it, well, chemical reaction. Yeah. Right. Huh. Uh, never thought of that. I've always used I'm pretty sure they don't smell. 
Is there anything wrong with doing the, the lame way I'm doing it of just putting in the next together in an envelope? Yes. What well, is? number one, is your is your envelope archival? No. There you go. Number two, should the negatives any touch? moisture at all like that and you in squeeze them the together? Negatives. They'll sandwich together Well, I've forever. been fortunate that I've always kept my negatives at this temperature. Yeah, which is so far. 68 mm-hmm. degrees, no humidity. Right, right. You'll be fine. Um, yeah. Store them where humans like to be stored, cool yes. and dry. Yes. So I've always used binders. So, I, and they actually they would make contact sheet pages uh, that had an extra pocket in it. So if you made pocket. a contact sheet, it'll store right, it right behind in the, the back, negatives, right? which is nice. Huh. Uh, and I do I it with the same with my digital now, too. If I have a CD made at the time of developing, mm-hmm. pops right in the pocket mm. with it. I'd be Never interested in inspecting yeah. your setup. Well, you can come over and inspect it any time you want. How do you store your eggs, Mr. Matt? Um, well, Leslie, Leslie, yeah, Leslie <laughs> knows, yeah, pretty much. All over my studio. Leslie knows no. exactly how I do it because I buy all of my supplies from her. Uh-huh. I use uh, plastines or glassines. Oh, glassines. No, no. Whoa, whoa. Big. Sorry. <laughs> I use plastines. You use plastines. Oh, glassine no good? Glassine. What's glassine is not archival. Oh, but they kind of call generically glassine envelopes. Generic glassine yeah. envelopes. This is a plastic version it's, of yeah. glassine. It's plastic. Uh, it's, it's so it's called. It's plastine. almost it's almost Matt. transparent. Yeah, it's like yes. translucent. Mm-hmm. Um, I write the old ones I used to use were the um, archival ones. What, who made those? Print file. Yeah, I used, print, I used to use print files. Names. Print files got very expensive, and they also um, they react to humidity very badly. And oh. I'm just talking a little bit of humidity, right, not really. not much. Oh, They'll boy. start to really stick to the. Stick the they're ultra smooth, oh. ultra. Clear, and I also so. got a couple scratch negatives from print files. Um, the small yeah. I get more scratch negatives from yeah. processing at the CVS. Oh, now, yes. You, can you store your film in the, the envelope that comes with the CVS? You know, yes, it's like you the accordion. Yeah. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. That is archival. Yeah, those are great. You, when in doubt, give it a smell. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, the plastines That's are a motto to live by. <laughs> the plastines are nice. The only thing I miss is being able to put them in a binder, right? And like, because now they're just kind of like stacked. And I bought yeah. these uh, these boxes. That I believe they're say. archival methods or one Big of the cardboard boxes. Well, no, they're just no. like they're, they're actual they're clamshell. Actually, I'll go get one. All right. I have a, I have a box with some stuff. Easy okay. to show. Yeah, so when I can describe, audio. describe it. Mm. It'll take five seconds. Okay, fine. Well, yeah. And actually, Matt, you can. Well, not, for you, it doesn't matter. It does matter, but you can buy those with or without three ring binders in yep. them. Sean, cut the AE one camera. Do this. I need those. Oh, we didn't do those. No, do oh gosh, darn it. Oh well, great. That's how you store your negatives. That's how we store our negatives. <laughs> That's how we store our negatives. <laughs> Simple as that. Right there. No, no, no. Right there. Right there. Don doesn't know what an AE one is. So Nine. the bottom line for folks listening at home for a storage of negatives, ideally archival sleeves. Spell archival it. sleeves. Keep it at it because I'll tell you they can no back good. up. You know. Yeah. But keep at it. But. Uh, if you have any comments, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. dot weeks. Uh, please do give us uh, you know drop us a line uh, and we'll be back in uh, just a minute. Hey there, FPPers. Did you know the darkroom.com now offers sheet film processing? Sheets. That's right. 4x5 and 8x10, black and white, C41, E6 processing. Nice flat rate. Check them out, thedarkroom.com. Click on sheet film processing, fill out your form, ship it in. They'll process it, send it back, lickety split. They have excellent customer service. They do a great job. Consistent, dependable, thedarkroom.com. Check them out today. Yo. Hey, we're back. Uh, I would like to relay to folks out there, um, you know, we've been having our giveaways. Who won? We got a lot of winners. We have a lot of winners. These are the winners from most of 2013. Uh, John, who, who won stuff from the FPP? <laughs> 
All right, we have the Nikon N70 35mm SLR. It went to Melissa Conklin from Kathleen, Georgia. She says, I'm a professional portrait photographer and shoot digital for all my clients. I have borrowed my father's FE2 for a few years, and I like to shoot film of my family and personal projects, but now Dad wants his camera back. <laughs> I'd love to have a film camera of my own to use uh, with my current Nikon lenses, and the autofocus would be great. And parts of me want to move towards shooting film for clients. But I think I need a little push. Well, consider this your push, Melissa. Go for it. And enjoy your Nikon N70. Nice. Uh, the Instant-tastic Polaroid camera giveaway, what was in that? One we, step? Get, we have three cameras. Oh, this is for the one step. It went to Justin Mehmet of Orlando, Florida. He says, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with film. It's almost alarming. Sounds like <laughs> a good friend of ours. I dug out my old Canon AF35 and picked up a Canon A1 from a local guy for 60 bucks. Nice. He collects and repairs Canon. It's in awesome shape, and it had been CLA'd. Uh, he had four lenses. Wow, no kidding. 60 bucks for the camera and four That's lenses. nice. And random filters, blah, blah, blah. I love shooting film with both cameras. Uh, the AF35 is such a loud old cow that I'm not really <laughs> good for the uh, serotip- serotipious. What is that? Serendipitous. Serotitious. Surreptitious. Thank you. Surreptitious. Uh, and I'm not really good with surreptitious. No. Oh. Surreptitious street photos. Instead, I use the A1. Uh, so enjoy that, Justin. Your one-step camera, which is a loud old cow as well, but have fun. <laughs> uh, the Instantastic Polaroid camera giveaway continues with the Spectra, which goes to Stephen Bennett from Flynn, Australia. <laughs> he says... Got gas real bad as a result of listening to your podcast. I shoot 35 through 8 by 10 in film. Ooh. I have and use a darkroom. I love shooting black and white film most of all. Well, now you got your Spectra, baby. You don't have to do any developing. You just push that little button. What do you get? Sit back and relax. Instant art. Uh, here's the third Instantastic Polaroid camera. Go, the impulse went to Christy Wu from Oakville, Ontario. And she says, I'm from just outside of Toronto in, a beautiful big, in the beautiful Big White North. I've been taking pictures since first year university and have started shooting Polaroid in the late 2001. My favorite subject to shoot? Food. Glorious food. I think that's the first time we've ever heard that, huh? Food. Yeah. Uh, I've also been known to take a few sports photos mostly roller derby and that's a first as well Ooh, think chrissy you're onto a lot of cool stuff so enjoy your impulse oh here's her website she's on her Flickr name is doth woo which is d-o-t-h-e-w-u doth woo so enjoy her photos of food and roller derby up on Flickr. the polaroid automatic land camera giveaway went to melody doth it of Pasadena, Texas. Uh, she says, a lot of my photography is abandonments, drains and cities. I love film. I love the way it looks and the feeling of it. But I like the instantness of digital. Hmm. This offers both in one. I do love taking photos of people as well. But one problem with film is that people want to see the results immediately. And if they like it, it makes a nice gift as well. Well, now you can have instant art in your hands with your Polaroid automatic land camera. Enjoy! <laughs> Next, the Canon AE-1 35mm uh, SLR uh, AE-1 program, which is a runner-up winner, goes to James V.A.G. Jr., uh, Bluefield, West Virginia. Bluefield, West Virginia. He says, I love cameras, and I'm a sophomore college student studying English. 
I will use the camera to help capture moments on campus throughout my college experience and document my life. I love film cameras. And we love you, sir. Thanks for being a listener and enjoy your AE1 program camera. The Canon EOS Rebel uh, goes to Cody Bookenauer from Allegheny, Pennsylvania. He says, I'm an 18-year-old. I'm a 18-year-old film photography lover who is going to school for journalism in August. At the moment, I use Minolta X7A mm-hmm. with 50-millimeter lens. If I won this camera, I would use it as my main camera with my Minolta in reserve. Well, there you go, buddy. Now you're a Canon guy. Enjoy your camera. Next, for the Canon T70, uh, goes to Todd Evans of Marietta, Georgia. He says, my name is Todd, Todd. and I've been shooting film since my mom gave me her brownie Starmite in 1971. (laughs) Today, I use classic and modern film SLRs, and I also have a problem with buying a new digital point-and-shoot cameras. So this guy's got gas all over the place. My favorite 35-millimeter camera is my Canon EOS. Elon too, and I also yeah! like, <laughs> and I also like <laughs> Pentax SLRs. I've owned and used Canon AE1s and AE1 program cameras, but I've never used a T series. Uh, my day job is being a commercial schedule for Cartoon Network. No way, dude! I totally love Cartoon Network. Regular show is my favorite. The regular show is awesome. Uh, he does Adult Swim and True TV. So really? if you ever, I, I love regular show and Adventure Time. My oh, kids love it. Oh, wait, too. Todd Evans. Todd Evans. He's a Flickr contact of mine. Yes, he is. His Flickr name uh, is Todd, Todd Evans. Todd Evans, yeah. So, uh, so if you enjoy watching the same State Farm and Geico commercials over and over again, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of them. I do. Geico's not so bad. but All right, Todd, enjoy your Canon T70 and keep up the good work. I'm going to ask Canon AE1. Yeah, drop us in the uh, next commercial. Yeah, dude. Throw in an FPP commercial in there every once in a while. Sweet. Subliminally. Just throw in one frame. Just Subliminal. Put a sticker in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The Canon AE-1 goes to Alicia Vega from Austin, Texas. She is a film enthusiast, mother, and gardener residing in Austin, Texas. I shoot portraits and fashion with my 35 Pentax. I'd love to purchase another camera, but rarely have the money for it. I photograph life on a daily basis, and her website is her website is AliciaVegaPhotography.com. What did Alicia won? She won the AE-1. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh, does she have a Flickr name? No. But you can see her photography at Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, V-E-G-A, Vega, photography.com. There isn't Alicia Vega on Flickr. There is. It could yeah. be her. Could be her. We'll enjoy your Canon 81 all the same. We look forward to seeing some of your photos. And last but not least, the 1980, or 1983, 1938 Super Baldina rangefinder camera goes to Alistin Postma from Ontario, Canada. Uh, she says, I'm a first-year studio arts major who collects film cameras. I'm especially interested in ones from overseas that are less common here in North America. With this camera in hand, I would shoot many rolls of film, both for projects and fun, and develop them myself in the photo club darkroom. I love trying out different cameras and sharing the good word about film. Well, here you go, Allison. Enjoy your Super Baldina. And that, my friends, is the end of a long list of giveaways. Yay. God bless Mike Rasso, and God bless the FPP. Thank you, thank you. It's so much fun giving stuff away. It's awesome. And what a this, thrill, really. It is a real thrill. This show, we're giving away another uh, Canon AE-1 program camera. Um, here's a quick letter about the AE-1 from someone who 
dug out their AE1 program, which is the same exact thing I did in 2008 after taking a long break from shooting because of the amount of uh, f- um, motion picture photography we were doing, John mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I put down my still stuff for many, many years. And th- this gentleman says, Kyle. Kyle Michael says, my name is Kyle. I'm from, how do you pronounce Bucyrus. this? Bucyrus. Oh, Bucyrus thank alive. you. I was going to say Bucyrus. 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 Bucyrus, Ohio. I just want to drop by and say hello and thanks for getting me back into film photography. I came across your podcast about two weeks ago while searching the Google for film photography groups. The Google. Since then, I've dug out my Canon AE-1 program, all my FD lenses. I also ordered a Patterson tank and some other darkroom goodies. I have a friend who's going to let me borrow an Epson V700, and I might I may eventually save wow. enough and get it in the larger. Good Whoa. friend. Ooh, yeah, he's he's got the gas. Yeah. I also found it interesting that I could still get Fuji Pack film for my Polaroid 250, and now Impossible film for my SX70. Thanks again, and keep up the good work on the podcast. P.S. I love the sound effects. My favorite being <laughs> the Google. The Google. The Google. Well, that's cool. I'm really happy that Kyle dug out his Canon AE-1 because I had that same experience. Mm-hmm. And today, uh, I hold in my hand Canon AE-1 program. This camera belongs to Jim Austin Jimages online. Jim mm-hmm. And Jim sent this camera to us. And it's in pristine it's, condition. It, oh, my say God. Pristine. It's in a bottle. Gorgeous. In a in, bottle? In he a said liter. that? In yes, a this is in a bottle. Did he really? Yeah, Jim, yeah. of course, lives on Salty Paws boat. Mm-hmm. So he uh, throws bottles overboard, and they make their way to <laughs> when they go the to FPP, port. FPP. <laughs> so today we're giving away this beautiful Canon AE1 program. Oh, we have to give it away with it's flash. So gorgeous. It, I know you don't want to give it away, no. right? Uh, oh, and no, you fl- know many awesome images have been shot with that camera. Actually, many John, awesome. the uh, flash is mine. Oh, is so it? Was not getting the flash, but oh. a, a good word about this is a, a Canon AE1 program camera, the classic camera. It comes with a standard, beautiful 50 millimeter f 1.8 lens. Let's hear that shutter, Mike. Oh, okay. Mm. Wait till you hear it. Yeah. It has the classic. What is it known as, Leslie? Oh, I don't know. The Canon slap. Canon squeak. 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 Squeal. Squeal. Matt, hold up those better. stickers. Oh yeah. Listen to this, folks. Here we go. Oh, didn't yeah. do it. Oh, there that was it. a little squeak. That was yeah. perfect. Yeah. Now, I have on this camera here in the studio a Canon Speedlight 177A. You can, they're on the bay. They're inexpensive. And the great thing about it is the Canon flashes talk to the camera. Mm. So when you pop it on, you dial in your ASA for what film speed you're using, and it'll when, it, when you're in program, it'll automatically set the oh, uh, shutter. and cool. Yeah. It is pretty cool. No way. Yeah, yeah. way. Yeah. You set the shutter and the aperture from the flash. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, the Canon flash talks to the Canon camera. Wow. If they refer to it Hi. as dedicated. Hi. Yes. Thank dedicated. you, Leslie. Then you know it's a perfect match. That is so cool. You could qualify to win this by going to filmphotographyproject.com forward slash giveaways. Giveaway now. Yeah, giveaways. And sign on up. They're, it's absolutely free. The only thing we ask is that you don't you know, acquire it and then sell it. Mm-hmm. Pass it along. Always pass it along. Yep. Or if you if you graduate and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm done with my AE1P. Pay it forward, baby. Pay it forward mm-hmm. or send it back. Yeah, send it back to us. Because we'll, we'll send it. it to somebody else. Because there's always somebody out there who would enjoy Absolutely. having a camera like that. That is all we have for today. Aww. It's been an exciting show. Very, very informative show yeah. with uh, Matt and Leslie. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> We're at podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. 
And as always, we're going to go out with some homegrown music performed by either in-house FPPers or friends of the FPP. And you can find out if you're like, Hey man, what is that cut you played? Go to show notes, filmphotographyproject.com. Click on podcasts and you'll see all the shows. Yes, you will. And you can just click the one that you want to find out information on. And there'll be show notes. And show notes are, of course, written by our good friend, Alex. Alex Laux in Canada. Thank you, folks. We'll see you soon. Check one off, check one off. Let's <laughs> send a message to all our brothers down the road.
downstairs Birds fly around head She knows full well I'll wait a spell Capsizes my brain Her words my page Her gum my shoe Ice pop tongues blue